Patrick, make the noise. (laughs) (laughs) Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everyone to the Feelin' Film Podcast. No, not 60 Minutes, the Feelin' Film Podcast. (laughs) I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here with me, as always, is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hello, everyone. Today, I feel like I've already won. Because we get to talk about one of my favorite films of the year. Hopefully, one of his two. I guess we'll find that out soon. It is a delightfully charming and wholesome mockumentary about the most adorable stop-motion, googly-eyed shell, with shoes on, of course, that you will ever meet. If you have not seen Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, I highly urge you to check it out. There are some short films available on YouTube. We're going to talk about that here in just a second to kick things off, actually. But this is a feature-length film that was released in the summer of 2022. And as of this recording, it is available for digital purchase. It's available for digital rental, finally. And it is available to buy in either Blu-ray or 4K versions via A24 directly. I'll make a quick plug and say that this was my first ever purchase from A24 directly. I couldn't find this anywhere else. I didn't know that they were like working as a boutique kind of distributor at this point for physical media, like a criterion or something, but I bought it. It comes with a pretty thick art book, uh, insert book of, of sorts, and it's got a commentary track. It's got a really cool behind the scenes making of featurette. And then it's got the Marcel the Shell with shoes on original short films as well as part of the package. And I'm very, very satisfied with it. So that's out there if you should wish to pick it up. But yeah, go watch it and then come back and listen to this episode. Although I will say of a lot of the films we talk about many times, they revolve around movies with a plot, right? Where it's like, you really don't want to spoil this. I think this is probably as close as we would get to saying you'll be fine (laughs) while listening to this. It's not going to ruin the movie for you, the experience of the movie for it for you, but you're probably not going to get the many little jokes that we're going to make to each other as we go through it either. (laughs) All right. So that's your spoiler warning. Patrick, I guess maybe before we even get to my first topic, did you like the movie? I need to know if you like the movie because this might make or break the rest of the podcast right here. (laughs) Yeah. These are always, is always interesting. Um, no pressure. Because I know, no pressure, right? <laughs> I was, um, yes, the short answer is I did. I liked it a lot. And I'll probably watch it again without the podcast in mind. This is one that I never liked to do this. I really kind of came in hot. I, I try to watch the movies that we cover a couple of days in advance so I have a chance to sit on it. And this past weekend was just really full. Soccer season's in full effect. Fortunately, it's winding down. And this was one that I was needing to cram for it was almost like cramming for a test and so i enjoyed it and i think i will will enjoy it a lot more i want to watch it with my son because i think that it would be good with him there's so much to enjoy about this this reminded me a lot from a feeling standpoint of 
Ted Lasso season one, the first time I watched it, it was just like kind of out of nowhere. And it wasn't really about the plot. It was just about the presence of the characters and the sense of living with these two or three main characters for an hour and a half in a a way in a filmmaking style that is usually, if not always, going to elicit a gentle response or an innocent response. Tim Burton's films are, of course, kind of the antagonist of that. They are in and of themselves really fantastic, but for sort of darker, <laughs> darker audiences or a darker feeling. But still, the stop motion style lends itself to being something of like very approachable, very fun. So even something like The Nightmare Before Christmas, if you can sort of pre-game and say, hey, some of these characters are a little scary or they're you know skeletons and weird things, you can move beyond that. And I think the same thing happens here and did happen for me where I really felt like I had a warm blanket around me, kind of just enjoying this time with this little shell with the big eye and shoes and everything about it just felt like, hmm, yeah, this is this is something the world needs right now. We really need to be able to enjoy an hour and a half of just time with these characters because they aren't doing anything more than just letting us be in their presence. And I think that's an important part of the movie is the idea of being in the presence of others, community. We'll get into that. But yeah, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm excited about watching it again without having to feel like I'm doing homework. <laughs> but it was totally. good this time. Yeah, totally fair. I was a little nervous when I heard you tell me you were going to be watching it this morning. I figured you'd probably be doing it in between work or something, and it it's just not your ideal viewing. But I'm glad that it was still resonating enough that while you were watching it, you were hitting me with messages of things that you were enjoying, which is always a good sign. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's I think so you'll have a blast just watching it with the family because I, I do believe it's something that connects pretty much for everybody. I think almost every single person I know has really fallen in love with it, except one, one who is just the most cynical person. I think cynical critic. He's a great guy, local critic, but my goodness, he gave it one and a half star. And I was just, the the review is just hilarious. It's just such a, a viewpoint on life and the world and art that I don't think I can even comprehend. Uh, the way that, so it was interesting, but uh, I'm going to mention some factoids that I pulled from the commentary track and the behind the scenes feature as we go. I kind of wanted to start just by giving the origin of this. So the film and the shorts were originally created by a guy named Dean Fleischer camp and Jenny slate, who at the time was his girlfriend. They were sharing a very small hotel room with five other friends during a wedding. And Jenny started randomly doing a very high-pitched, tiny little voice to express how cramped she felt, and that was Marcel. They got fascinated with the voice, kept playing around with it, and later they made a little video, or later Mar uh, Dean Fleischer Camp was supposed to make a video to be a part of one of his friend's comedy shows, and he had forgotten until nearly the last minute. And so their story is that he rushed to a craft store. He got some shells and some paints and he literally created Marcel and started interviewing 
Jenny in her little tiny voice. And they used that as the video that they made for this friend's comedy show. And the only reason that it even ever got on the internet, Patrick, is because the friend wanted to be able to send it to her mom. And that was the way that they were making it available to her so she could share it with her mother. And out of nowhere, boom, it blows up. And from there, they end up turning it into an official short film. It premieres theatrically at AFI Fest in 2010. It gets awarded Best Animated Short. And it becomes a 2011 Sundance Film Festival selection and ends up spawning two additional sequels in 2011 and 2014. So crazy serendipitous story of the creation of art that I just think is really neat uh, how they made something with no expectation of it doing anything. And I think that's important because that's a piece of advice I tell podcasters all the time or content creators, whatever you want to call people who make stuff <laughs> specifically for online audiences. It's you got to just, you just do it, right? Like that's the first step is you just do it and do it because you're enjoying it and because you love it. And you never know what's going to happen someday, Patrick, right. someone might listen to one of our episodes who's famous and love it. And suddenly we get like a retweet by Quentin Tarantino. And all of a sudden we go from, a listener base of, I don't know, 200 people to 200,000 people overnight. You just, there's no telling how these things can happen. You can't plan on them and you certainly can't expect them. Yeah. You just have so to be happy with doing what you're doing. That's, that's a great point. And I think that's what this movie does is being able to enjoy the moment, enjoy the thing, enjoy the journey and not the destination. Oftentimes I think when it comes to when we tweet something or when we put something online, there's this idea that we are trying to make ourselves known. And I don't think that's any new concept. I think that's been around since social media became what it was, social media. I mean, this idea that once we start taking pictures of food, I think that we've sort of hit a new world, a new kind of era of fame or popularity. And something interesting about Twitter specifically, I feel like with the 128 character when it first came out, I think it's 256 now, Twitter became the way in which, my theory, people tested out their stand-up comedy, where you would throw out a one-liner or a little bit. And oftentimes, when they got retweeted, a line could simply be the thing that attracted people to you. Uh, my friend, Our friend Adam, he says that, he tweeted something out about Cheers. He's been going through a, a Cheers watch or rewatch. I don't know if he watched it when it was on back in the 80s and 90s. But he he sent me a link to one of his tweets that was, he said, like, maybe once every two or three months, he'll get a tweet that just gets thousands of retweets. And it's like crazy. But nobody knows about it. Only those few thousand people do. And I, I was thinking about this idea that when I go through and I and scrolling through my feed and I see all these kind of tweets from people or retweets or things that I'm retweeting and have thousands and thousands, I'll probably never talk to that person again. And the idea of being like in internet famous is so subjective. So when you look at a movie like this and the shorts that it was based on, 
this is not in any way, shape, or form me bashing the creators or what they put together because it's fantastic. 15 years from now, nobody's going to remember because we're going to be hyper-focused on the next big thing. And unless your name is Joe Rogan and you have that kind of sustainability and are constantly kind of changing your your brand or establishing it in a broader context, you have to kind of be okay with having your 15 seconds of fame in a world of instant news and instant knowing. So I, I think that it's important to be able to celebrate these kind of movies, not just because they're valuable and entertaining, but because they should have some sustainability, because they do offer long-term benefits to the viewer. I think that's why when we talk about our five-star movies, when I talk about Sing Street the way I do, it's because it brings something to me that makes me want to watch it multiple times. And Marcel has that capability. That's why I'm saying I want to watch it again. I want to watch it for the sake of just enjoying it because there were enough things about it that said, this is sustainable. This is a message that won't change. It won't be, it might be hyper-focused in the world that we live in right now with this idea of social media and being famous today, but not tomorrow. But behind it all, it really is about a character's journey and just kind of looking at the world differently. And that's what I think is really charming about this movie is that it allows us to sit next to Marcel and look at the world differently, sometimes more obvious for lighthearted jokes and sometimes a little bit more contemplative where this character is not really childlike. I mean, yes, he is, but he's also very simple in terms of translating the world. So the way that he sees a dog's crate as a prison, because that's what he knows. It's funny and it's adorable, but it's also very much you know a literal interpretation. It's that kind of observation that I think we need to be able to tap into every once in a while and look at things a little bit more simply instead of trying to be more complex. Like, what did you really mean by that? And that's what I think Marcel does is he allows us to say, hey, let's look at things a little bit more simply. And maybe we can see real value and real cool stuff because of that. That's great. I think that you're hitting the nail on the head. So, or the shell on then? The, uh, anyway, nail on the shell. I was, I was, no, was going to try and make a funny pun and it fell apart real quick. <laughs> I, I do want to briefly talk about the shorts. Not necessarily like plot or whatever, but I just was curious. You did get to watch them, correct? I did, yes. So I thought it was really interesting how many moments were pulled directly from the shorts into the original film and how on the surface, I think if someone told you that they were going to be doing this, we might roll our eyes or get real cynical about it because you're taking. 12 minutes worth of content of a thing. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to stretch this into an 80 minute film. I think there would be questions. It, they are worth watching. And I think what I pulled out from watching them the most was how neat it was to see in the feature film with a budget. And this movie took a long time to make. So for those that, don't know stop motion animation is the most complicated or it's one of the most lengthy requiring art forms that there is it just it takes 
forever and ever. They spent three years working on the animatic storyboards alone, they said in the behind the scenes feature. And it's it's a really fascinating little mini doc about this mockumentary. They recorded the audio first and then went back and crafted the performances to match the audio in a way that they could animate it and put the animation in so that it worked. It's just, it's really incredible the way that they had to do this to make it look real with the stop motion character involved and animate certain pieces of the landscape. There was one really cool little detail that they shared about the couch. So if you remember the scene, Patrick once, I believe it's once the family is back together and because some of them are jumping from the top of the couch onto the bottom. It's, you know, it's like a trampoline, right? Well, they were saying when you have a little shell and they, they what they do is they actually made these shells. It's cool. Cause they show like this whole like arts and craft station of like all these different little creations of characters that they made so carefully. So if you have that and you toss it onto the bottom of the couch, well, it's not going to make any sort of indention in the couch because it weighs nothing, but they had to animate that. And so what they did is they built into the bottom of the couch. They put these like, like dozens of rods all over the couch in various places so that they could move the characters, the actual physical characters, and then someone could pull down on this rod in a certain spot and then back up that would make the couch move. And then they would animate over that (laughs) to make it look like this natural thing of a shell jumping off, bouncing up off of a couch like we would, anybody would imagine a human or any other animal doing that. And it just, it's incredible to me that watching that, you would never necessarily know that. And your brain doesn't think about that. The fact that the shell weighs you know, not even a pound, right? Um, anyway, it's just, it's fascinating the work that goes into it. And I got off tangent on a tangent, but the thing that is amazes me is that in the shorts, we get a lot of the same story pieces and a lot of the same dialogue, but it's all Marcel saying things and describing things. We don't see those things because Dean and Jenny are like making this out of their apartment. There's no budget to it. And what was cool is when you watch those and then you watch the feature film, some of the things that Marcel is describing and talking about, they do the same thing in the feature film, but they expand it and you get to see like this big world and actual in action pieces of what it is like for Marcel to live. And it just, it's it's a whole show as well as tale kind of expansion on the model mm-hmm. that really was neat to me. Well, yeah. And I watched the shorts after watching the feature. I wanted to make sure that I did that in that order because I think that regardless of how you watch, you're going to get a different kind of perspective. I think I would have a similar appreciation for the movie, but not having context previously to those other shorts, it created this really great world that I lived in. And so all of it felt very polished and complete. When you go back and watch the shorts, they're still good. And you, I can appreciate them, but I don't appreciate them on the level that I do here because you have that polished look. You have a script. You have really a dress rehearsal that's already been done in those three shorts. It reminded me a lot of 
when you look at a show like Everybody Loves Raymond. I love that show. It's it's one of my kind of security blankets when I want to have something on in the background. I'll throw that on because it's essentially the first two seasons are Ray Barone, uh, Ray Romano stand-up being put in a sitcom. This is what I felt like was happening here where those shorts were attractive to the audience that they were being given. I mean, they had the intent of being entertaining to a specific audience, but because of like that lightning in a bottle voice and aesthetic and style all kind of coming together, I think the ability to lend the ability for it's short to translate itself to a feature. Again, I'm making Ted Lasso reference. Those Ted Lasso was born out of NBC shorts, four to five minutes, two big ones that you go back and you see some of that material reinserted into that's the right TV series. And one one thing that Jason Sudeikis said early on was the hardest part about making a show around this character is to give him some kind of agency because he's really just a boob in those shorts. And so everything that you laugh at about Ted Lasso in the TV series stems from that. But then how do you provide heart for it? I think the same challenge exists here. When you look at the shorts, it's essentially the magic is the interviewer interviewee. And that's what starts the movie. This idea of Dean talking to Marcel. Oh, oh. It's like, why do you want to, why do you want to interview me? Well, it'd be fun. Just let me, just let me watch you. And you know, Marcel agrees. But then you expand on that. And I think that's where real good storytelling lives. Because otherwise, this would have just been a, what, 90 minutes of just asking a shell question. It works in three to four minutes. It doesn't work in 90 minutes. Same thing with Rowan Atkinson, who is a phenomenal comedic actor, both vocally and nonverbally. Absolutely love Mr. Bean. Love the show. Love the 10 to 15 minute segments. Doesn't work as a feature film because the nature of what he does lends itself to shortness, little succinct skits. And so the ability that these guys had to take that and expand it to 90 minutes, the plot element of really, you could say it's him looking for his family, but that's not what drives the story. It's really just about living with this shell and living with his discovery and understanding his relationship with his grandmother. It's just, it's so simple. And yet it's so compelling because I don't know why. I mean, I guess I could say I, that's the magic of, of why I love it is I want to understand why do I, what I really enjoy this so much. And I think it's because of the fact that it doesn't require much. And I think that from there, they could put a lot more into the background, the ability to do stop motion and combine live action with stop motion. I mean, that's what's phenomenal to me. It's not completely stop motion. It's not completely live action. It's all integrated in a way that feels like the shell is an actual thing that lives in our world. <laughs> and it doesn't yes. have to be because it's sitting on a couch that's making inventions. No, I mean, sometimes you see Dean's hand swipe in front of it and it and it and Marcel responds. The the moments that really stood out to me are when his dog in a interacts with the shell smelling yeah. and breathing and it's just like i'm in i i want to meet the shell just like all these youtubers who are getting selfies in front of the house i want to meet him yeah well that's actually by the way based on their real dog there is a dog that looks exactly like that dog it's a little smaller and they wanted to use their dog but they couldn't 
because they tried first and the dog was not a trained actor and could not handle (laughs) the job. And so they had to go get a stand in to be the dog, but they kept it (laughs) as one that looked just like the actual dog. One thing you said there in the last couple of uh, comments you've made that connects to those is a is something that Dean said in an interview about going viral that kind of connects those two things. He said this. He says, "Yeah, I think on the one hand, it's a challenge for a filmmaker to do a going viral scene now because it's in every single movie. I mean, even though that phenomenon hasn't been around that long, we've exhausted every way of doing it, and this is the case anytime we were writing parts of this movie and got stuck." What felt true to the film was to show what was true to us about it, which was we did have this experience of this character that was very dear to us going viral. At first, it's all excitement and completely positive. And then the thing you realize is actually what people are obsessing over or flipping out about are the things that are the most superficial. They're blinded by Marcel's cuteness or whatever, when really there's a ton of complexity to him. He's pretty melancholic. And he's full of surprises, but the overwhelming impression is like, oh, look at this cute little thing. I want to hug him or I want to step on him, which is dark, by the way. So that's where we took it in the film because that felt true to our actual experience. And, and so I think they recognize exactly what you're talking about with the experience of making the shorts. And that's what makes this special is expanding that and really giving Marcel the ability to truly go on a journey that helps to illustrate all of these qualities about him that are so cool and so neat and so charming and wholesome and just dadgum delightful, man. You know, it's it's probably the closest I've felt like this. And I've watched it four times now and not once have I failed to cry despite knowing exactly what's going to happen. Not once have I not been incredibly moved, laughed out loud and smiled. And Paddington is really the only other character in recent years that I can think back to that has made me feel something like this. It's really unique. So to keep going with Marcel here, like you were talking about in his personality and some of the points about him, his willingness to be filmed and his relationship with Dean, he's very much just an unapologetically curious shell that is happy to live his life. He says at one point, sometimes you just have to disregard those rules, meaning the rules that will keep you safe, and think that I want to have a life and survive, and not just survive, but have a good life. Like he wants to live, and it plays into his, I think, willingness to be part of this experience with Dean. And their relationship is really cool. I think this is such a unique, interesting take on a documentary that is sort of almost critiquing itself while it's happening. Because I wrote down this question in the document, who is interviewing who? Right. (laughs) Because at different points, there's, there's certain lines of dialogue, and I wrote some of them down, but there's many a time, many a time in this film where Marcel pokes at Dean. He says... Well, first of all, he says, are you recording? He says, what should I be doing? And I think that brings up a very interesting conversation about documentary filmmaking and how 
a subject can act if they know they're being filmed and does that Mm -hmm. take away the realistic nature of what they're doing are they now performing versus are you getting the actual subject because now there was a little piece in the behind the scenes featurette that they were talking about and that they use this as an example they said now if someone you're filming knows that you're doing this thing maybe getting in a car wreck or having something big and dramatic happen increases the intensity and the story that is being told and kind of plays into their favor and and i just loved that that line was in there because it made me think about man yeah you know and even even nana says at one point i can tell he's performing a little bit for you he needs a stage i love this whole concept of exploring the realness of documentaries because it's something that we've talked about a little bit when we discuss biopics or musical biopics specifically and and i think we talked about this on the elvis episode that a documentary is no more than a director or a writer if you're talking about a biography their interpretation of a person's life it's their story of person x because you cannot at all capture every honest to goodness thing about a person i was talking to a, a good friend of mine and he said to me nobody says 100% of what they're thinking and that can be a completely manipulative tactic because i can look at you and i can say aaron i know you're thinking about something right now go ahead go ahead tell me those ty- that type of language elicits you saying oh my gosh he sees right through me I need to confess something to him that I have no idea what you're thinking about. But I can say that because the fact is we're not saying 100% of what we're thinking all the time. We don't. It's just part of our human nature. It's not us hiding anything. It's just part of who we are. When you look at a documentary, one of the great lines in this movie, Marcel says, I think he's asked what a documentary is, or maybe his grandmother's asked, you know, what's a documentary? And he says, is it that nobody has any lines in it? Or maybe it's that no one knows what it is while they're making it. And there's some truth to that last statement. A friend of mine named Hunter, he was in the process of shooting a documentary on Dogpatch USA, this kind of defunct theme park in the Ozarks that is now run down. It's basically a place for poachers. It's had, or not poachers, but squatters. It's had so many different owners. I don't know who owns it now, but... I asked him, what do you want to do with all that footage? And he said to me, I don't know. I just knew that we needed to shoot a bunch of it because this guy that owned it at the time was really compelling. And there's some truth to the fact that when it comes to documentary filmmaking, people that I've talked to have not made one yet. And this is something that at some point, even if it's a short documentary, I just want the experience of being able to put one together. I don't know what it would be. But this idea of you have to be willing to alter your story because a documentary lends itself to that kind of variance. When you write a screenplay, you're getting a beginning, middle, and end. You have compelling characters who are going to act a certain way, do certain things, say certain things. And you're trying to get from one part of the story to you know the three acts. Well, documentaries have that too, to an extent, but the way in which they're put together 
allows them the ability to sort of go, oh, I didn't know it was going to go this way. I've watched a couple of documentaries that have kind of gone sideways, and I think it's partly because the story became more compelling as they were going through the journey that what we got as an audience was, oh, you're telling this story, and now, oh, that's an interesting plot twist to this particular person. Sometimes those are great, sometimes they're not. But when it comes to performing, I think someone like Ken Burns is one of the more considered pure documentarians because he doesn't do a lot of reenactment. He uses photos and he uses interviews, things that aren't really capable of changing or performing. Yeah, I guess you could say that Bob Costas could perform in an interview, but really he's just being asked questions. So the way he delivers that, you know, delivers an answer to a question is probably the closest you can get to acting a certain way. But some of Ken Burns' documentaries, particularly baseball, is really just all about the photos and the stories. And that doesn't make him the best documentary out there, but I think it it creates a level of purity because you're not messing with anything. But then you can make the argument, well, yeah, you are, because he doesn't have to show certain pictures, or maybe he's using certain pictures to elicit some kind of emotional response. So the fact is, telling stories, whether it's a documentary or a feature film, you're going to have some kind of bias, and you want to tell a certain message. But I think Marcel is right in that as you're filming a true documentary, you have to take into account the actions of the people that you're filming and the places that you're going and the things that will happen. They will change your story. The question is, is that story that ends up on the cutting or not on the cutting room floor, but in the edit bay and inside a reel, is it going to be compelling enough for an audience to latch onto? Some are, some aren't. I think I'd watch any documentary on Mr. Rogers, on Fred Rogers, because he's such a compelling person. But, you know, the stories around him, the myths or the facts, aren't really as compelling as the man himself. And I think that sometimes it's the subject matter, sometimes it's the the actor or the person. And in this case, it's Marcel. Marcel is who we're actually latching on to, whether he's acting or not, as we talk about this mockumentary in this way. I think that we can be honest and say, we don't really care what story you're telling about him. We just want to be with him and we want to spend however long this is, what, two years or a year, however long Dean's with him in this you know, Airbnb, just filming his life. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. I think so well said. I'm excited for you to make a documentary eventually. Interview me for something. I don't care if, okay. it's, if it's not related. Just, well, I'll perform, okay? I'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. I, there's a, a cool moment toward the end where I believe it's after Nana has passed. And Marcel stops and looks at Dean and says, do you always need to be filming? And he says, no, but we'll be glad that we have them, I think. And I thought that was interesting, too. That speaks a lot to not just documentary filmmaking, but to the presentness of our relationships. And Dean and Marcel are, are such a cool relationship, man. There's such a an obvious friendship between the two of them that we see even when Dean is, it feels like trying and resisting to not be friends as much as to keep himself a little bit distanced in this filmmaker capacity. You know, he's always trying not to get his voice in the documentary, which I think is a cool way to acknowledge that that's how documentaries are made. People may not realize that when you're watching all of these documentaries that are 
like just interview segments, people aren't just like talking to nobody. Somebody is behind the camera asking questions and then those parts are cut out and the, all you see in the documentary is the actual responses. But sometimes they're so dramatized and like intense and interesting that like you never really think about the fact that somebody triggered that question. And so this kind of gives you that look behind the scenes. But anyway, their relationship and with the presentness, I think that that speaks to the idea of do we need to take pictures of everything we do on our cell phones? And there is kind of a, a question there sometimes of there is value to having moments captured to look back on. It's all a matter of cost. It's all about, is it, are you doing it so much that you're missing out on the present? And, you know, what are you going to do with that? Marcel says to Dean at one point, something really, real. it's a real like singer. He says, you know, Dean, have you ever thought that your life might be a little more integrated and less lonely if you took the time to connect with people instead of just making videos about them? And I was like, I was literally like, oh, like I did the run back in my chair, you know, like he got him, you know, because and Dean is just like Dean's like just dead silent, you know, like there's no the way that Marcel's looking because it, it's, it's a, but it's so yeah. true. Yeah. And it's a great cinematic moment. This is what I think is great about Dean and company is that they set the moment up so well because in that I I distinctly remember that scene. Marcel has accidentally like sneezed and the candle has blown out. And he's asking Dean to help him with the candle. And Dean's got this whole purity approach. He's like, look, I, I don't want to really affect interfere. it. <laughs> I don't want to affect it. And that's when that line comes out. And then there's a beat. And then the the camera cuts, and the next shot is the candle relit. <laughs> he doesn't say thank you. It doesn't say it's just like okay, cool, and it just moves on. So you you can tell that he is having an effect yes. on on Dean. And so that's I, I love what you said there about the idea that there's always a question being asked, or somebody's always behind the camera asking questions. My wife and I, um, we've or my family and I have started watching um, Lego Masters. On Hulu, we started from season one, Will Arnett, because, you know, Lego, and thanks for that, Aaron, by the way. I've now gotten into Lego probably to an unhealthy extent. Why is my, it my fault? Because you just, bought just, me Dom's charger, and I made it and was like, this isn't enough. I need to go buy But that was free for you. Know, it was free, but you started the obsession. Okay, so <laughs> let me just say, we'll leave it there. It's a Not different fair. discussion we'll have offline. We'll talk about this later, is what we're saying. But- not so everything we're watching needs to be the show. Is what Patrick is saying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is this is how the sausage is made right here. <laughs> this is the documentary, the do behind the scenes of film and film. <laughs> anyway, but I'm watching the interviews and the when I I'm reminded of reality television when you get interviews with contestants and they I've become fascinated with listening to how they talk because I don't believe for a minute when there's like a contest and they're they're dialoguing about the contest as it's going on. Like I don't think the the producers are pulling them out of the contest in the middle of it and say, "Hey, reflect on what's happening now." I believe, and I could be wrong, so if you're out there and you're listening, correct me. But I I believe that they already know what's happened, and the producers are telling them talk in the present tense as if you're saying this is what we're going through. So yeah, we're sitting here and we're just wondering how is this going to be? And it fascinates me because they're never asked questions. The producers set up the scene with action and then they cut to this probably already known outcome interview. 
And the idea of being able to sort of rehearse, okay, when we ask you, we're going to ask you this question. And when we ask you that question, then we'll hit action. And then you just answer it as if you're answering it in the present, in the present tense. And stuff like that just really interests me because none of what they're saying is false. They are just helping the narrative by creating a personal touch, even though they know what the outcome probably is because they're being interviewed after the fact. I always kind of play this game of like, all right, I know this team's going to lose because I've seen the episode. Let me roll back and see, do they elicit a response? Do they elicit a smile or a, a tear? Or what does their facial expression say? Because they know they've already lost and they're having to comment on how they're feeling in the moment, like two hours before. And I just think there's something magical about sort of the fictionalized part of reality television, because we joke about how reality TV is not reality. It's scripted or it's set up or staged. It's like wrestling, sports entertainment, soap opera for dudes. When we realize that we're not talking about actual like truth reality, we're really just talking about entertainment. I think a movie like Marcel takes that and it sort of comments comments on it in a way that feels very much like a, ha, yeah, that's true but it doesn't apologize for it either. And so I think this mockumentary style and approach that that this creative team has taken allows for us to really sort of celebrate what real reality documentation, documentarianism is, and that we can accept it's not all real, but it elicits a real response. And I think that's where you're saying watching this movie four times, it's going to elicit an emotional response. There's nothing fake about your emotional response. You're going to cry. You're going to smile or clap or whatever, or roll your head and go, ooh, because of the fact that at the end of the day, it's a really great story. And I think that that's what we latch onto, whether it's a documentary or a feature film or a reality television. It's just good, compelling storytelling that keeps us entertained. Yeah, it is. And it reminded me when you were just saying that of something that I believe it might have been Jenny mentioned in the commentary. She is talking about how there were a lot of questions that would come up about details. Like, for example, people ask all the time, what's inside of Marcel's shell? Or how did his parents create him? Like, what what's the biology involved in the shell or like if you go downstairs in the tennis ball down to the basement, you know, how do you get back up? Exactly. <laughs> things like that. And she was saying you you have to take some things for the enjoyment factor and not to try and make everything perfectly realistic when it's already fantasy. But you're not going to get the same investment and emotional impact from it if you try to nitpick all the details. And so they had to just let some of that go. And man, I, as someone who is generally a real stickler for detail. I I really appreciated that because I think that makes it so much better. And this is the rare movie that I didn't think about those things. Like, I didn't care. You know, you look at Nana Connie, you're like, okay, she's dying because she has a broken piece of shell. Like, what is that? Does it, you try to ex expand on that. Like, how does that work? Why is the physiology the way? No, who cares? It's expressing an emotion and a feeling, and it's propelling the story and the character relationships forward and the experience that they're going to have to deal with. Like, that's what's important, you know? And so I just, I liked that they acknowledged it and just said, 
we don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's not what's important. I do want to talk about relationship with Nana Connie. Incredible addition. So if you talk about like shorts versus feature film and you're expanding things, you have the ability to bring in all these new characters and flesh them out. And played by Isabella Rossellini, they raved about her inclusion in this. I, I cannot. So the voice acting in this is incredible. First of all, Jenny Slade is amazing. I, I just think she's awesome. I think Isabella Rossellini is like such a perfect choice for Nana Connie. The kind of the difference of the two voices and the way that they work together. It's such a soft, uh, comforting, trusting, and an elderly, but in, in a sense of like, she is wizened, and she is there to protect, not, not necessarily protect, but like to really just encourage Marcel, um, and she's been through it, right? She's got experience. There's a lot of improv that took place on the set, and I love learning about that. I hope I'm selling everybody on buying this movie for the commentary, because it is one of the best commentaries. Obviously, I love the movie, so that helps, but it really is insightful. And I just, I thought this relationship was really cool, because it takes us on this journey of Marcel having to learn from her elder, from his elder, I'm sorry, uh, learn how to take care of someone learn how to deal with change. There's a, a whole big plot point towards the end where Nana has to sacrifice. Well, she doesn't have to, but she chooses to sacrifice. Once she is hurt, she is visibly sick, and we know that. But she then fakes getting well in order to encourage Marcel to go through with it. Marcel exhibits fear as we get closer to the 60 Minutes appearance. And... Nana is all about saying, listen, you need to take the chance. It's worth it. Marcel even asks at one point, he's like, but what if everything changes again? And she says, Marcel. And there's just this beautiful choice cinematically of a pause on her. And she just simply says, it will. And we cut into 60 minutes and, and they're there and she has encouraged and inspired Marcel to live his life and have experiences and not worry about the outcome because that's what she wants. She's, she's had her time and she appreciates everything that Marcel has done for her in the time that it's just been the two of them. I think it's interesting at the beginning, Marcel says, you know, it's common knowledge that 20 shells is what you need for a community. <laughs> I love the it's common knowledge part of that. So that's one <laughs> thing about this. The way this mockumentary is made so well is they understand how to do emotional heft and, and use the right touch of levity to keep you from getting bogged down in the heaviness of it. But when he says that, you go from 20 to 2 in how you live your life. There's a lot that Marcel has to do for Nana to keep her going and he is willing to sacrifice his time his effort because that's what he wants to do is take care of her and now she wants to pay that back and she wants him to go and enjoy his life and have the stage that he's always wanted and have his own experiences and it dude it is just so touching to me i think it is such a beautiful beautiful relationship between the two of them that i think a lot of people probably can relate to as well um, i know i have had this relationship with my grandmothers at times in their lives, um, with other relatives and people in my time in in life. And um, I mean, I think it's something that people who watch this movie should 
be inspired by if they are able to maybe treat someone younger than them in this way. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I really, really connected with it. I did too. And I think what she elicits is this sense of what parents and what they do with their children. That when I think about my parents growing up, I never thought about financial trouble that they might have been in, not being able to make the mortgage. Now, to my knowledge, I don't think that ever was the case. But <clears throat> my parents always elicited a sense of safety with me as a child. I don't think I ever felt like we didn't have enough. And that's something that my wife and I are really conscious of when it comes to our relationship with our son. We don't want to ever talk about financial struggles or the inability to pay for things. Now, we don't want to be irresponsible with our money either, but we don't want that to become his burden. And when we hear him say, hey, I don't know if we can pay for this or we can afford this, maybe we've had a conversation with him around that he shouldn't have been privy to. And so I think with this relationship between Marcel and his grandmother, I think that's what she shows is this idea, not that she doesn't want to be a burden, but that she puts his needs and the things that he needs ahead of her own because he has that potential to do and be the thing that he wants to be and do. And so it's very touching to watch her be more energetic as he sees and then to sort of quietly find a place where she passes away. And I love the way that this is actually portrayed is that there's never any kind of like deathbed moment with her. It's just that she was here and now she's not. And the next thing we see, and this is so eloquent, the way that they use the material world to amplify this kind of honey, I shrunk the kids environment where he's talking to Dean, but the camera is at a certain on, level. I think we're, it's we're on the spiders three spiders are. watching yeah. the teardrops. It's amazing. And, and you're like, well, is, is the tear coming out of him? No, he's sitting in a puddle a little, which is probably the equivalent of like two teardrops for us. And that water is just dripping down. It's just very, very subtle. And I like the way this was handled, that it wasn't some grandiose thing until the moment where we have the funeral and the peaceful, easy feeling. I thought that it, it just these moments were appropriate for the environment, for the scale that we were living in. And I think that's what's attractive about this movie is that it feels so common and basic in the most positive way that nothing is overblown. And if it is, it's done so in a way that makes sense for the moment. So when we have her funeral and when Marcel is celebrating, he's celebrating with this community of all sorts of different things. If we're talking about suspending our disbelief, we'll get there. I think I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm talk and about that and so it's just, it's, it's wonderful because then we can, just like we've been living with Marcel for an hour and 20 minutes, now we can mourn and celebrate his grandmother as if we're part of that community as well. Man, that's beautifully, eloquently said. One of the things I learned during the commentary as well was that Jenny Slate was in Seattle for the Seattle International Film Festival, promoting a different film a few years back. And 
She was laying in bed awake at 2.30 a.m. singing various songs, and she sang Peaceful Easy Feeling in Marcel's voice and recorded it and sent it to Dean. <laughs> and that was the genesis of them choosing that song to be used in the film later on for the funeral. I just I was like kind of cool because I'm in Seattle. So uh, for those that don't know. So I just I mean, I cover Seattle International Film Festival. It's just I remember watching that movie when she was here as part of uh, its press tour. And it just it was a really neat little tie in that that I thought was cool. But yeah, man, it, it was, it's such a beautiful, touching, well done tribute to Nana, who we've grown to truly fall in love with just as much as we have Marcel, I think. Um, and we will miss, uh, just as Marcel obviously will. Um, you said community at the end of your points there. So that's a big part of this is the story is touching on, I mean, a, a whole thing. The whole prompt of the situation is that Marcel has lost his community, this family, this broader group of things that are <laughs> sentient within this random Airbnb house. Don't think about it too much, people. Stop. <laughs> uh, and the importance of that community and Marcel's desire to get it back, right? He says a great comment when he's watching the YouTube comments and YouTube videos in particular. He's kind of in awe of all the things you can learn and see on the internet. And then at the end of this kind of experience he says but it's still a group of people but it's an audience it's not a community and he really makes that connection that this is not what i'm missing because what i'm missing has a more personal value to me and he is just very excited about doing that and so when they have the opportunity to go on 60 minutes inclusion of the very real Leslie Stahl. Super, super cool way of doing this documentary within a documentary within a whatever you want to call 60 minutes, but like it's like layered in a really cool way. Investigative journalism, I guess is what it would be. And, you know, they get to interview him and ultimately they find a way into the history of what happened and discover his family. I, I just really honestly patrick it affects me personally because i'm i'm a very much a loner and i've become a loner i should say i spend a lot of time by myself i rarely do things in public outside of a very small group of maybe my kids close friends this desire of marcel for a larger to be part of a larger community affected me and made me miss that it made me long for that in a way that I don't even know that I realized I missed it. Like all of a sudden I was like, man, I really wish I had a regular board game group again because that was really neat. I got to interact with all these different people and different personality types once a week. And, you know, I don't have that. I just sit at home and do these things by myself. And I don't know, this movie just kind of touched me in a way it made me realize why that's important for all of us, be it human or shell, <laughs> you know, like it, community is important and family is important. You, you can use them interchangeably kind of in Marcel's case at times, but it's a worthwhile journey for the whole plot of this movie to revolve around. And it's a beautiful thing to see him sustaining his life 
while always keeping an eye on that being the most important goal, um, if it's ever yeah. possible for him to to find them. Yeah, and that comment about the online community as an audience was very poignant because it reminded me that I think the difference between an audience and a community is that an audience consumes a community participates. And I think that's what he was missing and why when we get to the end of the movie, the participation in celebrating the life of his grandmother, celebrating the world that they live in. And even with Dean, having Dean invite him over to Dean's house, which I thought was amazing. And why are these flowers here, Dean? (laughs) Why are there more flowers in the bedroom, Dean? I love it. it. It's so great. Yeah. But even from the beginning, I thought that was so great to see them as a community of two, as this, they weren't just filmmaker subject it started out that way but the moment that one of the moments that i thought was fantastic was when there's a scene that starts and it's this camera and it's just solely like roughly turning to the right and then we see dean on his laptop i don't know what he's doing and marcel's like what are you doing dean he goes give marcel a director credit (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> director of photography he's a dp dean's there. face like, man is so good oh gosh it's, so, it's it's really great and then he says and i love how marcel is laughing the whole time like trying to keep he's giggling laughing. yeah he's giggling <laughs> he's like trying. what are you doing tonight dean and it's just it's so cute but it speaks to the comfort level that both of them have i mean dean is never upset about what marcel is doing it's just part of their relationship and because they're they are literally living in the same house together and even though it's it's not his house he's still looking for a place he finally finds one but i think it's what makes that moment at the end such a great little exclamation point because the house doesn't have to be the thing that connects the two their relationship is what connects them and it's it's neat to see that dean is able to participate in the celebration that marcel has with all these other characters that we frankly don't get to spend as much time with as i'd like i mean there are some characters in there that i'm like ooh, i could see a little short film with that thing right there or that thing right there i think that's lots of fun but uh but yeah it's it's a um it's a great message about there's the a joke meet- about that I, th- I think it's in the behind the scenes universe they actually flash a graphic and it's the marcel verse it's like the marvel okay. verse but it's it's marcel verse <laughs> of like all the different short films they can do <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry. That's so good. That's yeah, so good. Oh, man. I'm sorry. No, I probably I just... killed your... I know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's I'm good. Sorry. No. Well, I mean, the more you talk about these special features, the more I'm like, okay, should I just drop the uh, the bank and uh, or drop the money and just do this? I might, it's so know, worth it. Have, yeah. Uh, well, I, must have early I wanted... Present. Yeah, there you go. Uh, or maybe maybe I'll do it and inspire you to... You can blame yourself buying more physical media on me after that. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Inventions, characters, these are some of the most fun parts of this, and I wanted to be sure and talk about it. I'll start with the tennis ball and a little n- note. Uh, when they start the commentary off, it's pretty hilarious because they just sit there quiet for a few beats. Like, they clearly are not used to doing this. None of the film, it's Dean Fleischer Camp, Jenny Slate, and Nick Paley, who was also a co-writer and an editor on the film. And they're like, do we 
talk? And they're like, we could just watch the movie. <laughs> I was laughing my butt off because I was like, that seems so natural to me. Like, yeah, it would be weird. Oh, I think one of them was like, it feels wrong to talk over a movie. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, anyway, one of the first things, the first opening scene we see is the tennis ball. And so Dean says that that was one of the most challenging parts of the movie. He said, it is incredibly difficult to make a remote controlled tennis ball that worked and it required the help of two MIT postgraduates and a former BattleBots champion. <laughs> he said that they bought this thing off of Amazon called a Sphero, which you could operate via your cell phone, like as a remote-controlled ball. And they tried it first, but then they they went to wrap a tennis ball wrapping around it, and it wouldn't like connect and work the way they needed it to and move as fluidly as they were requiring and so they had to go into all of this detail to like craft and create this remote controlled tennis ball and i guess multiple of them actually maybe they were just using a cool animation technique because there's the one scene at the end of the movie where there's like 35 tennis balls because marcel's like something is really caught on <laughs> um anyway <laughs> the tennis ball as a vehicle in this is brilliant it it's again it's like one of those things where you can't think about it too much because like how do you see where you're going <laughs> have any idea where you're going um but I love that. Were there any other of Marcel's in, and Nana's uh, innovations that you really just were kind of enjoying? The bread as a bed is absolutely my favorite. I It's appropriately white bread because white bread is always the softest. If you have whole wheat bread, you haven't made a good bed. And when I saw the the moment where he is underneath one of the slices just kind of moving around i'm like ah it feels so comfortable like i was felt i felt very comfortable just hanging i was like i'm gonna go lay down in my bed and make it feel like it's you know some wonder bread of some kind (laughs) but i think that's great i think any really that sort of is a personification of anything that is a any of the inventions that are um like home housewares those types of things like how you use the um like that whole the whole the tree like the garden that he made that he he takes care of just all that stuff i love the agriculture between him and nana where they are constantly cultivating and the <laughs> the the ability to shake the orange tree with the, the string is fantastic so just that kind of stuff that is practical i mean yes the tennis ball is absolutely probably tops there but i think those little things like the bed bread the bread bed there you go the bread bed is probably my favorite because it speaks to i think the other things in the house that form practicality in terms of like day-to-day type things like how are we going to be able to do this well let's just pull this little like uh, hair from the sink or from the from the bathtub to make this long rope. And I'm like, oh, that's disgusting, but kind of cute. So they would have just, needed a whole lot of pubes <laughs> to get yeah. that done. That yeah. Was like, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that in particular was not one of my favorites, but I love the concept behind just saying, innovative. Hey, yeah. can, one man's trash, one man's trash, or in this case, one man's bread or hair or whatever. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay. I like the shaking of the trees. And also it's did you notice how violently that tree was shaking? Like, I mean, it is like that's that, some strength. That is, that is a some strength, Marcel. Dadgum powerful mixer is what that is. Like, that whole yeah. tree was just like <laughs> going crazy. Um, I loved basically all of them, but the honey and walking on the walls is 
a really cool, interesting way to be able to go up and down walls. I love the moment with we get to very briefly meet Marcel's brother at the end. And he's like, maybe I like doing it this way. I like sliding. I don't want to put one foot in front of the other. And there, <laughs> and you can tell like they haven't so seen each other in a long time. <laughs> he doesn't really want to listen. I, I love when they're going to go on the car ride. And this is that moment that's really impactful at the end of it. Again, the movie just perfectly balances levity with the the touching seriousness of um, the bigness of the situation for Marcel. And they get to the top of the mountain or hill or whatever. And Marcel realizes how gigantic the world is. But when they're getting ready to leave to go out, Marcel's like, what? You said it was dangerous. I need a weapon <laughs> and a helmet. <laughs> and so he like dresses like Robin. He's got like a, a match, like a match uh, sword on his back. And he's got like this helmet that looks like Robin Hood on him. And and then it's also great animation when he's puking. I just see <laughs> continuously. Probably the only puking I've ever seen in a movie that made me laugh and not like sympathy puke because it was just so funny. He does it was twice. It twice? Yeah. Oh, it's so because good. Dean, he does it once. He's like. And I and I get that because I've gotten car sick before where like the 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 heat or the cool the air or whatever just makes it kind of get nauseated and he just goes Bleh. and it's like this little drop <laughs> and Dean's like it's okay it's okay and I think it's great because it almost feels unscripted when he does it again I don't think that that was planned because he yeah. starts laughing goes it's okay I can clean it up I don't know that that was part of the scene where it was just like Let's roll with it. And I can't wait. Yeah, I bet they're thinking we can't wait to animate this twice. Well, Jenny does a lot of improv, she said, during this. I mean, this really came from her creation out of it. And then just kind of they were riffing on it a lot of times. So I would not be surprised at all. The idea of a skating rink based on dust was dust. brilliant. Yeah. Like a glass <laughs> table good. with dust on it. That is just incredibly yeah. brilliant. Yeah, and and also the popcorn. I know that Marcel got the idea off of the internet, but watching Marcel like recreate this YouTube video of a magnifying glass to make popcorn was just a really cool moment that I thought was uh, a neat just to, to see somebody kind of like discovering science for the first time and going out to do an experiment of their own to see yeah, if it really does yeah. work. This is this is me with YouTube shorts. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try that, <laughs> and I want to yeah. try that now with magnifying glass. I want to take uh, a, yeah. During the summer when the sun is at its peak, I'm going to be like, let's just make some popcorn outside and see what happens. There you go. Yeah. It might take you a while, but I bet you can get Probably. it done. Uh, one kernel is not going to be as, as far for you. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we won't know because somebody it. won't be filming it, Patrick. Because Maybe I'll film box. myself and I'll become there a YouTube you celebrity. I'll be the YouTuber of you, YouTubing. You never know. It could happen. Okay. Favorite characters other than Marcel? Let's maybe wrap with that. Other than Marcel and <laughs> Nana Connie, I know we briefly, you mentioned this earlier. It's a big surprise, I think, when they show up because yes. I, I know I know the first time I saw it, I was just, my, my jaw was dropping. Like, what am I seeing right now? And that was one of the moments where it's like, okay, all ideas of realism and, det and detailed like explanations out the window. Um, so what were your favorite creations? Uh, the Chex Mix, I think, or the uh, little, yes, me too. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably my mix. favorite of the of the nonverbals. Um, I thought that was really great, and I love his dad, who is just kind of oblivious <laughs> after. I'm his sorry, mom. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, so I was like, "Yep, that's us in a nutshell." 
<laughs> which is a great pun as well. Yeah. <laughs> and the peanuts, the peanuts were good. And there's too. peanuts. The, yeah. Yeah. With no yeah. top hats. So I thought that was the, no top hats. Yeah, don't, don't do that. But those there's are some I think cheese. My, Cheese puffs. I like the cheese puff were, in the oh, back. There's like the a, there's like a, it's like a hook. He's like chilling. He's just sitting on his, it's almost like laying down, but he's just, it's because his cheese puff looks like a candy cane. Oh, gotcha. uh, and then of course there is the ghost tampon, which is just, oh, I normally I would just, I would have, I just couldn't believe that that was there, honestly. And I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, I can't, what is that? I can't be a, you know, and then he comes back on screen a couple more times and I'm and then at one point you see like, the string like wrapped around the ground where Marcel is standing. So you, it's very clearly making it known. Like that's what this is. And I just, I mean, I get if every little random thing that is sort of discarded or falls on the ground in a house is sentient. I, it makes sense. Like it could be. So it's just, it was so funny because it looked just like a ghost. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the, brief time we got to spend with the marcel verse yeah. well the the thing that i really latch on to with these characters is that they represent a personification of a lot of things in the movie where when you do stop motion and you create this this is basically like the next like an homage to pixar's bread and butter this idea of let's take inanimate objects and let's give them life and so you have a character like Forky that is cute, I guess. But Marcel and Chexmix and Ghost Tampons, these are nuanced. Like they're not so overly blown, like you're going to laugh at them, like, oh, they're hilarious. But they fit into this world in such a way that, sure, if I believe for an hour and 28 minutes that a shell with the big eye and shoes is telling me about his life and wants to be on 2020 then sure why not why not have a whole shell of a community <laughs> and all these other things that if it's trash on the floor it's going to become something it's going to be part of that community which makes me think well do i need to throw anything away because i really don't want my trash kind of overtaking my house and its own little community because that would be kind of an alternate universe of marcel like a horror film i think at this point where like <laughs> somehow like my my cheese stick wrappers become alive and they take over the house and i'm like no let's not do that but we'll just keep our house clean to satisfy probably anyway. the safest option yeah yeah <laughs> this movie encourages keeping yourself keeping your house clean that's what it is yeah absolutely <laughs> and talking to any shells that you may find on the beach probably as well yes absolutely i'm going to I'm going to look like that crazy person because I watched this amazing movie. Are you alive? <laughs> Do you have a name? It's okay. You can trust it's me. Ace. Anyway. It's, not, it's Ace. Ace? Oh, what a random choice. Yeah, right. Uh, well, that's all I have for this. Uh, if there's anything else you want to touch on, that's fine. If not, I just say thank you. Appreciate you being down to cover this one with me. Cause, or for <laughs> us to cover you. this, I should say. I, just, yeah. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, I, I trust your judgment most of the time, and so this was one that I didn't have an issue with with diving into. I was glad we got a chance to pull the shell off of it or whatever other pun I can try to think of before we break it off. That will do it for us on this edition of Feel and Film. We actually hit the theater for the first time in what seems like two years. Um, it's not COVID. It's just because nothing's been good. And so we're going back to the theater. We're going to hopefully check out Black Adam. That could change. 
Aaron's seeing it earlier than I am. So just know that that's on the docket, but we may get Marcel too or something if, if we need to, to kind of cleanse the palate. But if Black Adam is even halfway decent, you'll be hearing us talk about it next week. In the meantime, uh, enjoy what you're listening to now. Aaron, thanks for this great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.